What does the Bible teach us about Jesus' childhood? Well, this is one of those fascinating questions that people, whether Christian or non-Christian, are dying to know the answer to, I'm sure. And there is no shortage of information out there in secular literature or of uh, religious writings that, I'm using that broadly, by the way, that are not part of the canon of Scripture, have these depictions of Jesus. We, we call these actually the, the Gnostic writings. Um, have depictions of, of Jesus as a boy doing these crazy miracles, going through this, this struggle of kind of growing into his supernatural abilities, um, almost likening Jesus to a superhero it kind of reminds me of the Superman movies, uh, especially Man of Steel, when Superman is trying to kind of struggle his way into adulthood and learning how to harness his powers and those kind of things. That's, that's the kind of Jesus as a child uh, stuff that you come across in the Gnostic writings. Well, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was turning water into wine. And that, of course, happened after he was an adult. So right at the outset, we can go ahead and cut away the notions uh, that Jesus was doing these um, strange kind of superhuman feats um, in the earlier parts of his human life. But does that mean that he led to kind of a boring life, or does that mean that his childhood was an afterthought? Well, certainly not. It just means that we have to have a proper lens and a proper vantage point of how to understand it and put it into context. Um, Even though we have four Gospels, only two of them explicitly mention Jesus' childhood. That is the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, What I want to do very briefly here is kind of touch on three similarities between these two, because they are different, but there's a certain sense of uh, similarity that you can see between them, and then uh, maybe uh, think about that and and branch out a little bit uh, as we close. So the first is that uh, both Matthew and Luke's account of Jesus' birth and childhood includes a genealogy. Now, you know genealogies are those boring passages of scripture that we kind of just skip over because uh, if you're in the Old Testament, good luck pronouncing the names. If you're in the New Testament, it's just a um, unnecessary interruption into the rest of the narrative. Well, you certainly should not have that opinion, especially when it comes to the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, You at least focus on that, right? So the genealogy of Jesus... Um, is given to us in Matthew and in Luke, but there are differences. Now, both of these Gospels place Jesus in a historical chronological context along with the saints of the Old Testament. This was certainly done by Matthew and Luke um, in large measure to position their Gospels as historical claims. The idea that the Gospels don't have to be historically accurate and those kind of things um, 
is a common argument in liberal theology because it's easy to explain away these miracles and things like that if Jesus wasn't a historical person or if the gospel writers weren't trying to be historical. But the point is, if they weren't, then why in the world would they include him in a historical context in something as objectively historical as a genealogy? So, while the contemporary audience of these gospel writers would acknowledge the existence of Jesus, obviously they knew him or their parents knew him or something like that, well, later generations are going to be removed from the initial context of the Gospels and might be skeptical as to Jesus' origins. Well, these genealogies help with that. They help make the argument that this is a history. This is a real person with a real life and real events that took place. But while both of these Gospels do include a genealogy, they differ in the theological intent of their respective genealogies. For example, Matthew speaks of Jesus as the son of David, and the genealogy is situated in order to prove Jesus' legal and ethnic right as the king of Israel, as the descendant of David, he has a right to the throne. Luke, on the other hand, situates Jesus as a descendant of Adam and Abraham and makes the claim that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God for the world, embodied as the new Adam, and the one who is going to be a blessing to all the nations as a descendant of Abraham. The second similarity between these two Gospels is the exaltation of Jesus by his contemporaries. So Jesus is honored as the fulfillment of God's promise and the Messiah in Matthew and in Luke. But even though this is similar, there is a difference in the kind of exaltation. Matthew, again, focuses on this kingly nature of Jesus. Jesus is exalted by being given gifts. Think about the narrative of the wise men traveling to see Jesus. The gifts that they gave him were demonstrations of honoring a king. And this is fascinating because he was a toddler at at that time, right? But still, they're treating him in this kingly way. Luke's gospel exalts Jesus in the same manner as the genealogy. That is to say, he is celebrated as one who comes to fulfill the promises of God. We see this in the Song of Mary when Jesus is presented at the temple. And these songs of celebration are the type of exaltation that is given to Jesus in Luke's gospel. Number three, Matthew and Luke are similar in depicting Jesus' earthly parents as people of faith. Now, this one's quite interesting to me. Mary and Joseph were both people who trusted in the God of the Bible. They were willing to follow the instruction of the angels who visited them. And these are quick little moments in the narrative, but just think about the kind of things that they're told to do. It was no small feat to flee because of the king and move from this place to that place. It all takes place in a span of uh, just a few paragraphs, but there's a lot happening, and they're doing all of this by listening to the angels. But what makes the two Gospels different is not the way that the parents are represented, but the writer's choice of which parent to focus on. So Matthew focuses much more on Joseph, 
speaks of his reaction to Mary being pregnant, even though they're not married and he hasn't um, been intimate with her. It speaks about his leadership in moving from place to place. Mary is not really the focus in Matthew's gospel uh, related to Jesus' early life. However, very little is mentioned of Joseph in Luke's gospel, and a lot is mentioned about Mary in Luke's gospel. So Mary is mentioned again and again in terms of her obedience to the angel's instruction. You have Mary's celebratory song. So both parents are depicted as people of faith, but each gospel selects a certain parent to focus on. That's a fascinating thing uh, to consider. Um, So a question normally pops up just speaking of Jesus' parents. If Jesus is not the biological son of Joseph, then why is Joseph included in any of Jesus' genealogy? And I think the reason for this, speaking of, of Matthew, I think Matthew focuses on Joseph because he is included in that genealogy as the rightful heir in the line of David. So Joseph is still of the tribe of Judah, even though he's not Jesus' biological father. And even through that connection, Jesus has a right to the throne when Joseph also has, um, generally speaking, a right to that because he is a descendant of David. Regarding Luke's gospel, Mary is the sole parent focused because Luke is writing an eyewitness account. According to church history, it's said that Luke interviewed Mary herself. We can't know this to be sure, but there's really no reason not to believe this. Um, I think it does explain, if that is true, why Luke gives such a detailed account of Mary's own thoughts and the conversations that she had with others, because these are things that we don't see in the other Gospels. And if Luke did interview Mary, then it would mean that Joseph was probably deceased at that point and unavailable for interview, which may be the reason why we don't see much mentioned about Joseph explicitly in the Gospel of Luke. And this is probably true as well, because um, Jesus commissions John, as he's on the cross um, about to die, to look after Mary And this would only make sense if Joseph was dead at that point and Mary was a widow who needed to be looked after. So these are really fascinating things. We could spend a lot of time talking about all this, but it at least illustrates the importance of taking something such as the early life of Jesus and really starting to ask questions. Okay, why is this different in this gospel versus the other What is the point the author is trying to make? Why does the author emphasize this when the other author doesn't? These are the kind of questions that we can ask. And when we ask these questions, it really does help us tremendously have a deeper appreciation of the Bible and to start to harness all of these nuggets of truth that we see um, on the surface scattered around in a way that doesn't make much sense, but as we start to analyze them and gather them together and look at them as a whole, we start to see the big picture, such as what we've illustrated in Matthew and in Luke.